welcome to the Humanity Leadership Podcast. I'm David Wheatley and we're here to talk all things leadership. Well, my guest this week is Ed Fraunheim, who is the author, co-author of Reinventing Masculinity. And we've got an opportunity to chat to him about that book and whatever else is going on in his world today. Welcome, Ed. Thanks very much, David. I usually start with just asking my guests to give me a 30-second bio. How did you get to wherever you are today? Sure. I have been a journalist and a writer for most of my career. Uh, spent the last uh, seven years at Great Place to Work, which is a research and consulting firm that studies workplace culture. <clears throat> Uh, it's behind the Fortune 100 Best Companies to Work For list. Just left that organization uh, in end of December to kind of start out on my own as a consultant and speaker uh, and excited to push forward with this work on masculinity and organizations. Well, that's great. And good luck with your, your new role. Uh, the work of Great Place to Work is spotted around various clients that I've had the opportunity of working with. So um, and it seems to be the... the the, the trophy that's held up as if we get that then we're doing something right culturally for sure yeah it's it was a great foundation uh, to, to, to to launch from so you're here today to talk to me about reinventing masculinity and uh and my first question was going to be uh what's the problem with masculinity the problem with the one version of masculinity that has been really central to our lives as men and women for much of the last several thousand years is that it's outdated, it's unhealthy, and in some cases it's dangerous. Uh, and what I mean by that is uh, it is a, a masculinity that really confines men. We call it a confined masculinity uh, because it limits men in terms of the roles they can play as well as how they can relate to others. Uh, and that's really not a, a suited for the work world and for the society and for even our individual lives especially as we move into the 21st century. Uh, so to take one example, uh, in the work world, the ways that men have shown up in the past as being sort of um, barking bosses uh, or, or kind of emotionally cold at work uh, or focused on their own self um, uh, and self and their ambitions doesn't really work. They, they end up, men end up showing up as, as rigid, cold and in isolated in a world that's now calling for flexibility warmth and connection. Okay, so that it's interesting because it parallels, a, um, we wrote a book 10, 12 years ago called The 50 Do's for Everyday Leadership, which has do's and don'ts. And sometimes when we've shared them, some people have said the don'ts were the do's 30 or 40 years ago, which were more like the barking, uh, you know, powerful like stance that everything about who I am and, and what I stand for kind of thing, rather yeah. than the engaging, the listening, the more at the same level. So this confined masculinity, which you've identified around this, uh, the old way of doing things, um, where have you seen that play out in bad ways in organizations? I think you see it play out, and I've seen it play out uh, in terms of bosses that kind of do as you, you were just re referring to, uh, bosses that kind of want to dictate orders to, to people that are on their teams. Uh, that have that command and control, more of the sort of military general style. Um, but what we're seeing is that we're entering a, a work world that's really faster, flatter, and, and more fairness focused. 
I, I'm a, a, a lover of alliteration, David, so if you bear <laughs> with me. What I mean by that is that, that change is happening so fast that if you don't have your people throughout the organizations responding and sensing to change and you, you, you wait to send information up the chain of command and then have some boss figure out what he wants to do, usually a he, and then send an order back down, it's too late. So you need to have a more distributed sense of uh, power and decision-making. And, and that relates to that idea of a flatter organization where you are having teams that are ad hoc, that are responding to new opportunities in the market. You can't really get by with just kind of, you know, telling people what to do. It's more like you set direction rather than give directions. Uh, so that those teams uh, can 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 be most effective, and also develop that psychological safety we know is important. And finally, we know that you have to be very mindful of inclusion these days. Uh, in the wake of the Me Too movement, the wake of the Black Lives Matter movement, where guys who are kind of oblivious to their privilege, the power they've enjoyed over the years, are are really going to be tone deaf and won't. Uh, really be as welcomed uh, or possible, uh, it won't be as possible for them to thrive in the organizations that are emerging today. Right. Uh, so it's, it's interesting because it parallels with so many other things. I, uh, David Marquette in his book about turn your ship around talks about the idea of stop giving orders and provide intent, which is- Is that the uh, the, the Navy yeah. Admiral? Uh, yeah, I've, I've, heard, I've heard that story. I haven't read the whole book, but that is exactly what I, I what we're seeing as well. When my work a great place to work in terms of the leadership that style that is most effective today. And so you're talking about a flatter organization, a more engaged organization, a more um, a team based organization rather than the hierarchical based organization. Exactly, and, and we know that in those teams, and I know you've studied these a lot. Uh, what's really central to their success isn't just having um, you know, a clear goal, which certainly matters, but also that sense of relationship um, uh, depth, the psychological safety that we know is important from the work of Amy Edmondson and, and the research at Google, that you know, the most effective teams at Google uh, were not the ones with the highest IQs or the, or the best academic degrees, it's the ones where people felt safe not to be mocked, where they felt like they could bring their whole selves. So if you are bringing that older masculinity in that, that really rejects any signs of emotion that is indifferent to uh, how people are showing up and maybe they're, uh, you know, maybe they're a little off on a day. Maybe they're bringing in sadness of, of a loved one who's died or is ill. Uh, and, and you can't be vulnerable yourself to encourage people to bring their full selves. You're not going to get the best out of your teams. Um, and so that's why, you know, I think in this new world of teams, this newer masculinity that we call liberating masculinity is really what's, what's called for today. So talk to me a little bit more about this liberating masculinity and your, your five C's. Sure. Liberating masculinity is what we see as sort of the antidote or the alternative uh, end of the spectrum from confined masculinity. It's a masculinity that, that frees men to take on more roles and to relate to others in, in newer and in better ways. Uh, so, for example, while in the past we were kind of limited to being the provider, the protector, I know you were the Scotland Yard uh, police officer uh, doing that doing that work, uh, but also uh, and maybe the conqueror. That was another role we had in the in the old model. But now we can be caregiver. We can be the sensitive lover. Um, we can be the environmental steward, and and not be sort of laughed at. But rather, those are vital roles, especially in the COVID pandemic. You know, we we needed to have more. You know, male nurses and female nurses uh, out there caring for for our, our sick ones, um, and so. Those are the, that's on the kind of the role piece. If we look at the kind of the ways we can relate, 
we're, we're saying that in a liberating masculinity, men are feeling free to, to be emotionally attuned to themselves and to others, to be compassionate and to connect with others. And so those, those, those two C's are central. We, our subtitle of our book is The Liberating Power of Compassion and Connection. Those are also two of the five C's. So we, we, we talk about these five C's as practices that can help you advance your masculinity. Uh, it starts with curiosity. It goes to uh, courage, compassion, connection, uh, and commitment. And I'm happy to kind of dive into those, but those are, those are the five. Well, and it's fascinating to me because uh, we wrote What Great Teams Do Great in April, and I, I did a, an episode of the podcast recently because we got some pushback from one of our clients that we didn't address race and in particular the power dynamic. And so we spent most of the summer uh, working with a lot of EDI folks to write what we call chapter nine, which is mm -hmm. the ninth chapter of the eight chapters in the book and uh, <laughs> that addresses race and power. And a lot of the things you're talking about uh, parallel to the research around that as well, that uh, we have to be a different kind of leader, acknowledge our privilege uh, and be willing to bring other people up um, be, be better allies, not just in what we say and how we talk about it, but in actually what we do. Um, you're I, talking about yeah. the same kind of things just around masculinity. Yes, I, I love that you guys took that step back, David. And, and that's, you know, I think, I think this is a very personal topic for all of us uh, men, uh, especially us white men. And, and I, I can share a little personal, my own personal story around this is uh, a couple of years ago in one of my organizations I worked at, I was passed over for a promotion that, that I thought I deserved. And uh, I remember the leader of, that made that choice was a black man. And, uh, my, and the person that was brought in was a gay white man. And I me immediately went to this corner of saying, oh, it's all about anti-white man discrimination, you know, reverse discrimination. And it was so, it was shows that fragility of my own ego, you know, or that my sense of I deserve this. And then when I took a step back and actually looked objectively at the situation, it was completely malarkey that I was claiming, you know, bias against me. The, the, leaders, the leadership team of the organization was completely diverse, plenty of white guys, plenty of straight white guys there. Um, but I think it shows uh, the need and how painful it can be to say, oh, all right, maybe I, uh, I'm not the only one who deserves, you know, to advance, you know, and to get those upper positions. And I think actually, we all succeed when we take a closer look at what success means and, and, and really challenge some of that confined views that we have to just rise to the top, uh, which is always a competitive game and, and really start thinking more about what is meaningful and service oriented that really is more satisfying uh, for us as men and for all people. Which your five C's really about an internal journey rather than an external one and the ego being the external one, these being about, am I open to looking inwards? who I am and who the authentic me needs to be. Yeah, I love the way you frame that, uh, an internal journey. Even when we start with the curiosity uh, see, what we're, what we're suggesting is that guys uh, pose questions in ways they haven't, you know, we, but it's, it's actually uh, a very in, in, you know, central part of being a human being. We all are born with curiosity. We all, as boys, wonder why is the sky blue? How come airplanes don't fall out of the sky? Uh, and yet we kind of get that shoved out of us by the time we're teenagers because you want to be the smartest guy in the room. You don't want to look stupid to mm -hmm. ask questions. So we're saying we need to recover that and, and then pose questions about masculinity itself. Is this really the best way to show up as a man? Is this all I can have in terms of a meaningful life? 
so yes, definitely these are internal journey type questions, but they have external behavioral uh, implications too, in terms of how we um, behave as partners, as parents, as dads, and, and as colleagues at work. Which really chips away at the, the concept of it being a binary situation. Uh, the, and you kind of address this a little bit, the old way, the 50s, the mad, mad men kind of environment. It was you were either that uh, tough man or the stay at home woman. Uh, and yeah. we've evolved away from that to a place that's a lot more fluid and a lot less binary. I love that you put that that way. And, and uh, one thing we try to be very careful about in the book is to say, we're not trying to toss out the old traits. We still value and, and, and honor the protector, the provider. Those are valuable, honorable things that men have done and, and continue to do for their families, for their communities, for the planet. We're saying, let's expand on those. Let's add options uh, to allow for that fluidity, to allow for acceptance of people that choose or, or have a different calling, you know, in terms of their gender or, or, their, or what they want to do in the world uh, or their sexual orientation. Uh, so, uh, yes, I agree with you. And, and that, uh, you know, the variability to, to accept fluidity requires a bit of breaking out of those, mm -hmm. that man box, those rules that we grew up with to that, you know, at least for me growing up outside of uh, uh, Buffalo, New York, there was a lot of pressure to mock those who were not, you know, the alpha guys. You know, and so it, it, it takes some courage to question that. And that's the second C, courage. Are we willing to sort of stand up for what is right and, and for the, the dignity of all people, even if it means we're going to get some heat uh, from others that, that may not agree with us? Right, which is that parallel again to the, the race side of things, isn't it? Especially as, as white guys, as you said, it's our responsibility to stand up and say that's not right. Um, yeah. Because we have to be willing to do that in front of our peers uh, and that's the second C, the courage piece of it. Uh, the and there's great example. I can give you an example, but was there, did you want to say uh, more nope. there? Nope. Well, I think that, you know, we're, we don't have to do this alone. There, there is a, one of the things about our book that I'm hopeful about is that we are sharing uh, stories where this is happening. You know, even if you follow your own journey and, and David, the work you're doing, you know, in the, in the way you took a look at, at race this summer, what, what I've been honored to have a chance to do is talk to some of the best leaders in the in companies around the world um, through my tenure at Great Place to Work uh, and, and as a journalist. And one, one example that stands out is the top executive of PwC, the professional services accounting firm, Tim Ryan, who uh, he has been on this journey of, of personal reflection about questions of privilege and power ever since he took over about five years ago as the top executive of PwC. Uh, back then, there was the it was the initial Black Lives Matter movement where the shooting in Ferguson and other race uh, tensions were in high, and he just said, "Okay, I'm gonna we're gonna talk about race in our company and learn what our black employees experience and how it's different." He learned, for example, that black PwC employees carry their business card wherever they go because they're, if they get stopped by a cop, they need to be able to demonstrate how they can afford. That car. Here, here's the fact that I'm a PwC consultant, you know, uh, and he was like, wow, it just kind of floored him to see the different experience people had. And and he has responded uh, continually over the last several years. And even this last year, he published an, an, a report on PwC's own progress and, and, and deficits when it comes to diversity and inclusion. And he launched or spearheaded the launch of a new effort to get business folks to push for racial equality in, in our public policy. So he is showing that courage. He's showing that curiosity. 
the compassion, the connection to all people, uh, and he's committed. So I, I see he's a great example of the five C's, and we all can be inspired by examples like his. So you talk in the book about going from man of steel to man of teal. That's not just about wearing. Your, it's not just about wearing a green shirt. I'm guessing. No, and that's why we got the, the teal color. Uh, the teal idea is an idea that's really resonated with me in recent years. It's really suggesting. Uh, it's a color code signaling a level of consciousness uh, in our world and in our organizations. And um, it's part of a scheme where it says like orange is a uh, representation of kind of the competitive capitalist world where it's all about maximizing profits and, and achieving. achieving. Green is a level that's above that. That's kind of about diversity and inclusion, include everybody. The teal level takes it a bit further. It says, we're going to be very much about people having authority in their organizations and their lives. So it's about self-management, about workplace democracy, along with holism. We're going to treat people as, as complete human beings and the planet. We're going to be uh, not just having this walled off view of organizations. And then finally, we're going to be purpose-driven, not profit-driven. So these are the elements of a, of a teal philosophy. And I think the kind of masculinity that we're calling for in our book really lines up with this quite well, that it's about service, not, not self-aggrandizement. Uh, it's about recognizing our, our privilege and power and sharing it. So there's that uh, sense of self-management, a, a democrat, democracy, um, and, uh, you know, really about acknowledging we have emotions, you know, not, not denying that and, and saying we're just stoic beings. So, and the man of steel, Superman is, is kind of like this heroic view of, of, of mankind that can lead us into a trap where we're just trying to be, do it all by ourselves. And, and we were saying, no, let, let's work as, as a community uh, and, and really advance the whole, the whole species together. And you're pushing on me now because I'm English. We don't have emotions historically. And, <laughs> and we're, we're ancestrally conquerors, which was not a good thing either. But, the, 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 um, you know, that's one of those. That's the challenging piece. Me, I did pass the test in the last, in last part of the book. I, uh, I scored OK. Uh, um, also, look about look at the the British baking show. People are so nice to each other on that. Like I, I'm struck compared to like Chopped and, and some of the other competitive American reality shows. So you guys are making progress. Don't 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 sell yourself short, David. We are, and a more broad sense of hosts. I'm sorry that they went to having three men and one woman when it started originally. There were three women and one man. So it's right. the hosts. It's that's a a shame, but. Um, so I'm a, I've got every privilege you could possibly have. Uh, I, apart from my name should be John, because apparently John beats David by just a little bit in terms of CEOs in the Fortune 500 and things like that. But um, I'm up here in Michigan. If I'm a leader and I'm wanting to, I'm taking this and saying, okay, I, I like this teal idea. I like this reinventing uh, idea. What steps can I take to try and transform or to have an impact on my organization? Great, great question. One of the first things is to listen, to listen more than just talking and to trust people uh, with decision-making power. Those are some of the lessons I've learned at Great Place to Work and then through this Teal research. Uh, leaders are, are so often wanting to talk and tell people what to do, but we gain so much and our organizations thrive so much when we can learn from others within them because the, people have great ideas. We are all you know, divine entities, you know, with, with sparks of genius in us that organizations typically have, have wasted. You know, that we've treated people as cogs in a machine as opposed to elements of a living, living, breathing organ, organization, organism almost. So listening and sharing uh, decision-making power, trusting people 
is important. There's a, the former HR leader of Google, Laszlo Bach, had a great line that, that I'll repeat here. He's, he says, leaders ought to trust to the point of discomfort. So you're, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm not sure if I can, you know, let, let John or, or Susie take this project on. Well, if, it, if you're doing it right, you're a little nervous is, 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 is one, one of the things that I think is a, a good guiding principle. So, so I'd be nervous. I'd be trusting people. I'd be listening a lot more to what's going on. Uh, you know, it's particularly because I'm 95% vegan. And so I get made fun of uh, every time I go and say, I'm not eating that and that and that. Uh, I save the 5% for milk chocolate occasionally. But the, <laughs> the, I go into most of the work environments up here in Michigan. Many of them are a bunch of white guys as well. Um, what's, the, what's some steps, some things you've, you've found in the research that will help with the courage side of this for somebody to step out and be willing to say, no, I think we should all read this. That's a great question. Um, I think uh, storytelling is really valuable. Um, story, listening and reading other people's stories, but also telling our own stories, including stories where we have felt um, excluded or we have felt belittled. Uh, and, and, you know, it's that's a courage piece to say because to, to get to because we are so prone to being invulnerable, that Superman piece again, like, and, and not admitting that, yeah, I felt crappy then, you know, or I was teased and it hurt my feelings. You know, we, we, we are, uh, we're supposed to be invincible, you know, but if we can do that about ourselves, I think we can start building empathy for others who may have had a whole lifetime or more experiences of being uh, viewed poorly or, or mistreated. Uh, and so if we start with our own storytelling, of challenges and, and, and resilience, uh, we can appreciate those of others, and, and you know we can expand our our um, realm of, of the stories we listen to and hear. Uh, there's a book that my publishing company Barrett Kohler has put out called Black Fatigue, that really opened my eyes to the challenges of a black woman in, in in a professional setting. Actually, right outside of Buffalo, New York, and Rochester, uh, and I was like, oh my gosh, she, she experienced that and that and that, like it, it really kind of, uh, it just opens your heart a bit when you can hear another person's story. Uh, we've, uh, I had it here somewhere. We've just gone through as our organization this summer spent the time looking at uh, mm. me and white supremacy um, as an organization. And, and it sounds like this is a, a good build on is that there's a uh, good plan to get a group of especially white guys together and say, take a look at this and let's have some conversation about what we see and not to be exclusive, but to actually start the inward journey so that we can better show ourselves outwardly. I, I think that's a great idea. Um, I'm, I'm about to start joining a group of guys that will probably tackle some of these questions as well, uh, David. So I, I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, and I, my hat's off to fellows who do that. And, and I will say it's not just work. It actually uh, has a huge payoff. Um, my my co-author Ed Adams, uh, the other part of the two-edged monster, I really like to say, uh, he started a, a group for men that was you know you might call it a support group. It's called Men Mentoring Men. Thirty years ago, and the men in that group, they love it. It basically is a place for them to, to speak their truth, to to share ups and downs. Uh, the only rule is that you cannot shame another man, which is something we fear we face so much of the time. Um, but those men have so much more satisfaction and richness in their lives, they will, they will tell you, as a result of that. So, you know, it gets mocked as a, you know, touchy-feely support group to do the kind of thing you're, you're just mentioning. It actually makes your life better by a lot. 
in most cases. And that uh, single rule would be an interesting one for us all to live by a little bit more, wouldn't it? That let's not shame another person. Um, you know, there's, yeah. I look back in my history and say there's times when I've not lived up to that and would regret. And I want to make sure I live up to that more in the future. Same, same here. <laughs> you and me both. Well, Ed, thanks very much for sharing a little bit about your book and, and some time with us today. And I would highly encourage people to go out and take a look at uh, um, Reinventing Masculinity. I'll show it again for those that are watching. I love the fact you have an Enzo on the front. I am guessing that was intentional as well. Yes, it was. Um, uh, it, 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 we have a masculine uh, symbol here working with the Enzo because what we're, we're, we're actually trying to blend some of the Eastern ideas and the Western ideas. And we talk about uh, blending in some ways the masculine uh, traditional traits with some of the more feminine traditional traits and saying those are that's our full humanity. We, we as men should not block that off uh, from ourselves. And so uh, the, some of the Eastern cultures have, have embraced that more effectively than those in the West. So that was that was intentional. And, and David, it's such a, a treat to, to be with you here today. Well, thank you very much. And uh, I look forward to hearing what the next one is and what your uh, your next plan is as you evolve into the next stage of your career. Thanks very much. Thanks, Ed. You've been listening to the Humanity Leadership Podcast. I'm David Wheatley. And we're brought to you by the book, What Great Teams Do Great, available now at all good bookstores. Thanks to Brian Spencer and Finkel for the music. Please share any feedback and suggestions. I'm available through humanity.com. And uh, go to iTunes, like, subscribe, and leave us a review so that other people can find us. In the meantime, until next time we meet, stay healthy.